I'm Christopher Bice. I'm the author of a New Age poetry book called Escaping the Darkness, Running from My Dreams. This isn't one of your grandmother's poetry books. Okay, I do some traditional poetry of love, death, and inspirations. But I also write about all the insanity hiding in my mind. Come experience the stories that are fleeing a tortured mind. Ride the wave of emotion and fear. Shed a tear, find the light, or maybe learn to fear the darkness. We are in the final countdown. Look for my book, Escaping the Darkness, coming this June. And tell your grandma to stay away. There'll be peace when you are done Lay your weary head to rest Don't you cry Hey everybody and welcome to Lupa's Bits Episode 46 I am your host Lupa Barty, otherwise known as Stephanie J. Barty, and as you can tell, I'm a little quieter this week um, because I had to uh, come to my sister's early. Uh, We had a family emergency, and I'm here to help my mom with the kids until my new niece or nephew was born. My sister's been put in the hospital, and she's doing okay. I will be here for an indetermined amount of time. Um, I told her the other day that I was here until she didn't need me anymore, and she laughed and very seriously said, that could be months. So, (laughs) I'm podcast, I'm quiet right now because it is 10 o'clock at night, and if you remember from previous podcasts, uh, everybody in this house goes to bed at 8 o'clock because the children go to bed at 8 o'clock. So everybody kind of disperses to their various places and I am no longer staying in the music room so that because they've had somebody move into there a friend of my brother-in-law's that needed a place so I'm upstairs as I was before uh, upstairs in what will be my niece's room once we get it ready so everybody uh, my brother-in-law and the kids are sleeping just down the hall so I don't want to be too loud I don't want to you know disturb them because I know my voice carries especially with the deep timber that it has at times and it seems to have a rather deep timber right now. And I'm just sorry, looking around for my water bottle. It has escaped me. I am still fasting. Um, I'm very proud of myself. 216 hours now. I haven't jumped on. I took one frosty, which means I was allowed to use. You earn, um, they're called frosties. And after so many hours of fasting, you earn one. And you can take it as a day where you're not going to fast. But you don't lose your streak. So I used frosty when I first got here because dinner we was late and I usually start my fast at 8 o'clock and um, we were still eating at 8 o'clock and it just I wanted to have a palm bay <laughs> you know so I'm also a little somber this week because uh, there's something very serious that I want to share with you that is happening in Canada right now and I know I've been complaining about the lockdown and I've been whining about not being able to buy clothes and you know, outraged about all of these things. And then something came across the news that made me realize that I was being outraged by all of the wrong things. Now, I want to read something to you first before we get into that. And I want to put out front right away that I know very little 
about what I'm going to be speaking on, and I'm very ashamed of that fact, especially where I live, and especially who my friends are. I should know so much more, especially considering the man that I was married to for 27 years. So I'm just going to put that out there right away that I unfortunately was very privileged to not have to know this history. Yeah, I said privileged. My privilege is showing. I did not have to know this history. Okay, so what I'm going to read to you first is something that a friend of mine shared on her Facebook, and it is by Kat Valente, and I'm going to change one word because I do try and keep this as PG as possible. The most radical thing you can be on the teetering edge of total totalitarianism is kind. You take in the refugees, you open your attic, you care for the sick, you make the hard choice. You do not collaborate with the ones causing pain. You do not nod when the great powers insist some are more superior than others. Even if you are the sum, you comfort the broken, you witness for the dead, you protect the person under the knee, not the knee. You turn on your camera, you wear your mask. When someone says humans are livestock, you shout at them down until the dark at the end of all things. You speak the truth when the automated loudspeaker is deafening, you feel, even when it would be easier for you to personally not to. And you tell the story of how we survive and find the sun again, how we find each other again, because the story exists. But I'll be damned if I know how it goes. Everybody get a pen. We've got work to do. And I read that and it struck me that what I'm about to share with you is very, very prominent to that piece. I'm going to read you the news article first to kind of give you an idea, well, to let you know what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to put out a warning right now. This may be triggering for some. This may be heartbreaking for some. And if you are very empathetic, I am warning you now, okay? So this is your opportunity or you can, can keep going and, and see how much you can tolerate and then turn it off. I will totally understand. I will not be insulted. This should hurt. This should make you upset. This should rattle you and make you uncomfortable. Okay, so this is by the BBC News and it's pretty much the same in every news report that I've read. Canada, because you can't hide these facts. Canada mourns as remains of 215, 215 children found at Indigenous school. The children were students at the Kamloops Indian Residential School in British Columbia that closed in 1978. The discovery was announced on Thursday by the chief of the Kitimloops. I'm going to butcher this. It's a First Nation tribe. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said it was a painful reminder of a shameful chapter of our country's history. The First Nation is working with museum specialists and the coroner's office to establish the causes and timings of the deaths, deaths, which are not currently known. Roseanne Casimir, the chief of the community in the British Columbia city of Kamloops, said that the preliminary findings represented an unthinkable loss that was never documented by the school's administrators. Not surprising. Canada's residential schools were compulsory boarding schools run by the government and religious authorities during the 19th and 20th centuries with the aim of forcibly assimilating indigenous youth. Forcibly assimilating indigenous youth. Kamloops, Kamloops Indian Residential School was the largest in the residential system. Opened under Roman Catholic administration in 1890, the school had as many as 500 students when enrollment peaked, enrollment peaked in the 1950s. 
the central government took over administration of the school in 1969, operating as a residence for local students until 1978 when it was closed. The First Nation tribe said that the remains were found with the help of a ground-penetrating radar during a survey of the school. To our knowledge, these missing children are undocumented deaths, Miss Casimir said. Some were as young as three years old. And that bothers me. That one hits me hard because my nephew is three. We sought out a way to confirm that knowing out of the deepest respect and love for those lost children and their families, understanding that the First Nations tribe is the final resting place of these children. The tribe said that it had reached out to the home communities whose children attended the school. They expected to have preliminary findings by mid-June. British Columbia's chief coroner, Lisa Lapointe, told Canada broad Canadian broadcaster CBC, We are early in the process of gathering information. The reaction has been one of shock, grief, and contrition. The news that remains were found at the former Kamloops Residential School breaks my heart, Mr. Trudeau wrote in a tweet. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is it's not something new. It's not a new story. I mean, this particular is. These children were just found, but that story is not new. Canada's Minister of Indigenous Relations, Carolyn Bennett, said residential schools were part of a shameful colonial policy. The government was committed to memorializing those lost innocent souls, she said. Terry Teegee, the regional chief of British Columbia's Assembly of First Nations, called finding such grave, grave sites urgent work that refreshes the grief and loss of communities in the region. Those views were echoed by other Indigenous groups, including the First Nations Health Authority. That this situation exists is sadly not a surprise and illustrates the damaging and lasting impacts that the residential school system continues to have on First Nations people, their families, and communities, its CEO Richard Jock wrote in a, in a statement. From about 1863 to 1998, more than 150,000 Indigenous children were taken from their families and placed in these schools. And they weren't just taken, they were ripped from their families, forcibly taken from their families for no reason and placed in these schools. The children were often not allowed to speak their own language or to practice their culture and many were mistreated and abused. A commission launched in 2008 to document the impacts of this system found that large numbers of Indigenous children never returned to their home communities. The landmark Truth and Reconciliation Report released in 2015 said the policy amounted to cultural genocide. Yes, that was performed here in Canada. In 2008, the Canadian government formally apologized for the system. The Missing Children Project documents the deaths and the burial places of children who died while attending the schools. To date, more than 4,100 children who died while attending a residential school have been identified, it says. So that's the news report. So I'm going to read to you Wikipedia's definition of an Indian residential school system so that you understand that these schools were across the country. And this is how our government decided to deal with Indigenous people in our country, First Nations people. In Canada, the Indian residential school system was a network of boarding schools for Indigenous people. The network was funded by the Canadian government's Department of Indian Affairs and administered by Christian churches. The school system was created for the purpose of removing Indigenous children from the influence of their own culture and assimilating them into the dominant European-Canadian culture to kill the Indian in the child. Over the course of the system's more than 100-year existence, around 150,000 were placed in residential schools nationally. By the 1930s, about 30% of Indigenous children were believed to be attending residential schools. 
the number of school-related deaths remains unknown due to an incomplete historical record, though estimates range from 3,200 to upwards of 6,000. The system had its origins and laws enacted before Confederation, but it was primarily, primarily active from the passage of the Indian Act in 1876. An amendment to the Indian Act in 1894 made attendance at day schools, industrial schools, or residential schools compulsory for First Nations children. Due to the remote nature of many communities, school locations meant that for some families, residential schools were the only way to comply. Schools were intentionally located at substantial distances from Indigenous communities to minimize contact between families and their children. Indian Commissioner Hader Reed argued for schools at greater distances to reduce family visits, which he thought counteracted efforts to civilize Indigenous children. Civilize Indigenous children. Parental visits were further restricted by the use of a past system designed to confine Indigenous peoples to reserves. The last federally operated residential school, Gordon's Indian Residential School in Punichi, Saskatchewan, was closed in 1996. 1996. Schools operated in every province and territory with the exception of New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island. The residential school system harmed Indigenous children significantly by removing them from their families, depriving them of their ancestral languages, and exposing many of them to physical and sexual abuse. Students were also subjected to forced enfranchisement as assimilated citizens that removed their legal identity as Indians. Disconnected from their families and culture and forced to speak English or French, students who attended the residential school system often graduated being unable to fit into their communities, but still subject to racial attitudes in mainstream Canadian society. The system ulti ultimately proved successful in disrupting the transmission of Indigenous practices and beliefs across generations. The legacy of the system has been linked to an increased prevalence of post-traumatic stress, alcoholism, substance abuse, and suicide, which persisted within Indigenous communities, which persist within Indigenous communities today. So you make jokes, and you, you and I've done it. We've all stereotyped Indigenous people. Ah, you're Native, you must drink. You must sit on the reserve and not work. This is why. They're traumatized. And that trauma carries down generation to generation to generation. And if the last school was closed in 1996, that's my generation that is still carrying the scars, still carrying the trauma. On June 11, 2008, Prime Minister Stephen Harper Ugh. offered a public apology on behalf of the Government of Canada and the leaders of the other federal parties in the House of Commons. Nine days prior, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, TRC, was established to uncover the truth about the schools. The commission gathered about 7,000 statements from residential school survivors through public and private meetings at various local, regional, and national events across Canada. Seven national events held between 2008 and 2013 commemorated the experience of former students of residential schools. In 2015, the TRC concluded with the establishment of the National Centre for Truth and Reconciliation and the publication of a multi-volume report detailing the testimonies of survivors and historical documents from the time. The TRC report concluded that the school system amounted to cultural genocide. On May 27, 2021, officials revealed multiple unmarked graves containing the remains of 215 Indigenous children, including some as young as three, had been found on the grounds of Kamloops Indian Residential School in British Columbia, operated by the Catholic Church and federal government between 1890 and 1978. 
It is a painful reminder of that dark and shameful chapter of our country's history, tweeted Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in response to the discoveries. Thousands of children enrolled in the Canadian Indian residential school system remain missing and unaccounted for. Despite direct requests, the Catholic Church has steadfastly refused to formally apologize for abuses that occurred within the residential schools under their charge in Canada. In 2018, Pope Francis rejected a direct appeal for an apology from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Let me read that to you again. And keep those 215 children in your mind as I read this last sentence to you one more time. Despite direct requests, the Catholic Church has steadfastly refused to formally apologize for abuses that occurred within the residential schools under their charge in Canada. In 2018, Pope Francis rejected a direct appeal for an apology from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. All he asked for was an apology from the church for those that were in charge of those children and for those that are responsible for the death of those children. Most recently, the 215 that they just found. I've been questioned as to why I strayed or wandered away or turned my back on Christianity and why I chose spirituality over religion. That right there, that whole article from Wikipedia that I just read to you, right there is a big reason. Now, I am ashamed to admit that I know very little about the residential schools and about the plight of the Indigenous people in my own country. Now, you have to understand that my shame is very, very deep on this, seeing as the area that I grew up in. Google St. Marie among the Hurons. Let me Google it for you, because I live there. Five minutes from it, and right across the road from St. Marie among the Hurons is the Martyr Shrine. Let me Google that one for you, too. You can tell I'm a little pissy. <laughs> I'm a little upset. So the area that I lived in is pretty much Wendat country. It's land of the Wendat Indians. And St. Marie among the Hurons was a French Jesuit settlement in Wendat, the land of the Wendat, near what is now Midland, from 1639 to 1649, was the first European settlement in what is now the province of Ontario. The first European settlement in my province. I lived three and a half minutes from it. The end of my street was an Indian village, a two-minute walk from the end of my street, and the Heronium Museum, right at the end of my street, two-minute walk. It features a replica of a pre-contact Huron-Wendat village, including a lookout tower, a wigwam, and a longhouse. And this is, it stands, they, they recreated it. They found the bare bones of it, and they rebuilt it. And when they were, when we first moved into the house on that street, the, what is now the parking lot of the YMCA, used to be a baseball diamond. And when they were digging up the baseball diamond and getting it ready to lay asphalt to make it a parking lot, the song, They Paved Paradise, and put up a parking lot comes to mind because as they were digging the holes, they were finding bones after bones after bones after bones. And they found many Wendat bones. It was their burial grounds where they, they laid their dead. And my town just dug them up, piled them into a big pile, and stuck a great big rock on top of them with a turtle carved into it. Mm-hmm. Yep. But the area that I live in, lived in, 
was very deep into the, the indigen, indigenous history around me. I knew very little about it. So, St. Marie among the Hurons. In 1648, St. Marie was a wilderness home for 66 Frenchmen, representing one-fifth of the entire population of New France. St. Marie's brief history ended in 1649, when members of the mission community were forced to abandon and burn their home of nearly 10 years. St. Marie among the Hurons mission was designated a National Historical Site of Canada in 1920 because it was headquarters of the Jesuit mission to the Hurons, Huron Indians, from 1639 to 1649, founded by the Jesuits in 1639. St. Marie was the center for the mission to the Huron-Wendat peoples. The ones in my, that lived in my, on the land where I used to live. Now, a report written by Father Paul Regineau tells us the story of heartbreak and despair that led to the abandonment of St. Marie among the Hurons in the spring of 1649. Attacks by the Iroquois increased and the Hurons settled in Diorléans in Quebec, where the Iroquois attacked the community. Anyway, so all I wanted, what I wanted to say, why my shame is so deep that I know very little about the residential schools and um, the plight and, and the, the, the mistreatment and the abuse of the indigenous people in my country is because I lived in a densely populated indigenous area with landmarks and and uh, historical places chronicling the indigenous peoples in my area very loudly and very very big and very very well and um, I didn't need to know any of that what did I need to know that for? didn't affect me, was the mindset that I had growing up. Oh, okay, you know, whatever. Now, right across the road from the Indian village is the Murder Shrine. I do believe it's Catholic. Pretty sure. I know it's Jesuit. They have a hotline. One, you think I'm kidding. One eight five five four nine five pray You can have Holy Hour with Jesus, too. And they built the shrine. Where is... I'm trying to find the history, but I'm at, unfortunately at the, the publicity website for the shrine. So I don't think it's going to tell me much. Uh, oh, here we go. Martyr Shrine is a subsidiary of the Je Jesuit in English Canada. The Society of Jeju, Jesuits, is a religious order. I'm assuming that's supposed to be within. They need an editor. The Roman Catholic Church. Martyr Shrine is a registered charity. Eligible donations to Martyr Shrine, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. So it is Roman Catholic. Right across the street from the Indian village. Okay, so residential schools in Canada government-sponsored religious schools that were established to assimilate indigenous children. I've already said that. There's not a whole, mu a whole lot more that I can tell you about residential school that I haven't already read. I know what I know of the indigenous schools, of the residential schools, and the effect that um, being sent to one of these schools had on people. I had a friend many years, well, I had a friend a few years ago. We were friends for many years. Let's just put it that way. I don't know how to say it. Any, we were friends for many years. And her mother was a child who was ripped away from her family, from her tribe, and sent to residential school. Now, my friend grew up in a very chaotic household. And her mother had drinking problems. She had mental health issues. And to this day, my friend who is in her 50s now, her mother is gone. I can't remember exactly how her mom died. I think it was cancer. But the trauma that her mother went through and the trauma that her mother had to carry affected my friend and her sister. 
to this very day, it affects them. And the effect that it had on them trickled down to their children. And now it's affecting their children who are now grown adults. And they are going to have children of their own and that trauma is going to affect them. So you see where I'm going with this? Trauma like that carries down generation to generation to generation. Because the generation that suffered at the hands of the generation that endured becomes the generation that had to endure passing down to the hands that suffered. And it's a circle that that is very hard to break. Now, I also have another friend, a very close friend of mine. Her husband is the right age, and he very well could have been ripped from his family and sent to a residential school. But he was very lucky in the fact that his family was very high up on the council. So that saved his bacon. And he was allowed to stay with his family, stay with his tribe, and, and, and learn his ways. Whereas a lot of other children were not. And remember, these schools operated right up until 1998. In 1998, I had an eight-year-old son who was half-native. They could have come and taken my son at any point in time and sent him to a residential school. Now, he was low on the list because he was only half-native. He was being raised by a white mother. But if he was being raised by his father, he could have been taken and put in residential school. There are a lot of crimes that happened in the residential schools that have been unaccounted for. That all we have are the witnesses and the, the, those the survivors that were there. And many of them witnessed the trauma at very young ages. So their perceptions of what they saw were skewed, not skewed in a way that they made things up, but skewed in the way that you might see a dark tree outside as a big scary monster. They were children and they witnessed horrific things. So their mind tries to understand what um, they're seeing and what's happening to them. And, and, and a lot of times when you're experiencing a trauma like that, your brain will close off that trauma and, and shield you from it. So you don't quite remember exactly what happened in every detail because it's too much for you to handle. So the town I live in now, and they're doing it all across Canada as well, and it's not enough, but it is something. They have lowered our flags at every federal building, every municipal building, to half-mast in honor of those 215 children. And we are, my town is keeping the flag at half mast for 215 hours. One hour for every life taken, every child that died. And I'm sure if they find more, that flag will stay down. My, my sister from another mother and mister, Crystal, she took a picture today as she was out working and somebody had hung orange t-shirts in the trees. Now, do you remember when you were seeing all of the red dresses hanging in the trees? Those were for um, the missing and murdered Indigenous women, which I'm going to touch on in a minute. They had hung orange t-shirts for the children and all of this, all of taking these children from their families and putting them in these schools was all done as a form of child protective services that these families were not capable of looking after these children, that they were not capable of giving them an education, and they would put them in these residential schools, and they would get a low-grade education, barely enough to give them enough tools to survive in society as a mechanic or 
a fry cook or someone who pumps gas or works at a convenience store or works at the liquor store, whatever, but not enough to go any further. They didn't give them a proper education. They didn't give them a white kid's education, for lack of a better expression. They didn't give them the tools and the education that they would need to go on to college or university and become doctors and lawyers and teachers and business owners and engineers and plumbers and electricians and all of those things. They didn't give them any of that. And they sent them out into the world with all of this trauma and all of this damage and expected them to blend in. Well, first of all, have you ever seen an Indigenous person? They're one of the most beautiful people in the world I have ever seen, to be honest with you. And I'm not just saying that just to be whatever, so don't think that. As with African Americans, as with Asian, they have very distinguishable features. And it's beautiful. You can tell you're Indigenous. I'm white. You can't tell I'm Irish except for the fact that my hair's red. That's it. My mom's hair's black. Well, it was. It's kind of gray now. My sister is a reddish brown. My brother, my brother is a blonde. But an Indigenous person, you can tell. It's recognizable and it's beautiful. To me, it's beautiful. I don't think they should have to blend. They should never have had to blend. They should have been allowed to keep their culture. They should have been allowed to keep their traditions because they're beautiful traditions. It's teachings that needed to be handed down. And they were lost. A lot of them were lost. Generationally lost. There needs to be an accountability. There needs to be somebody, something, some group needs to be held accountable for this damage, for this travesty, for this pain. Because that's what it is. It is an open, gaping wound in our society that nobody is willing to acknowledge. We brush it under the carpet. Just like the murdered and missing Indigenous women. Native women go missing every day. Every single day. All across this country. And nobody looks for them. Nobody investigates what happens to them. Nobody tries to find out why. Why all of these women are going missing. They just chalk it up as, oh, they ran away. Or just one of those things. Yes, I'm typing. I want to get you some t statistics. I'm very angry. I am. I'm very angry at all of it. And, and I'm angry at myself for not knowing more, not learning more. And I'm angry at myself for just kind of taking for granted. Oh, yeah, you're native. Cool. Whatever. I mean, my area is full of kings and Robitai, Sove, and, and these are all native families. My ex is native. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the other problem in our country with our indigenous people. This one looks to be about the best article. Shining light on the dark places, addressing police racism and sexualized violence against indigenous women and girls. Mm-hmm. And this is put out by the University of Toronto. Canada has had a long-standing problem with both societal and institutional racism against indigenous peoples. We keep it well hidden especially within the justice system. Numerous national inquiries, commissions, and investigations have all concluded that every level, every level of the justice system has failed Indigenous people. More recent inquiries indicate that racism against Indigenous people is partly problematic in police forces in Canada. Yet despite the evidence, little has been done in Canada to act on the recommendations. Not surprised. This has resulted in an over-incarceration of Indigenous people, numerous deaths, of indigenous peoples in police custody 
and the national crisis of thousands of murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. This article seeks to highlight the lesser-known problem of police-involved racialized and sexualized abuse and violence against Indigenous women and girls as a root cause of large numbers of murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls in Canada. It is argued that an in-depth look at police-involved disappearances, sexual assault, and murders of Indigenous women should be included in the National Inquiry in the high rates of murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. It is hoped that in such an investigation under the National Inquiry will result in evidence-based analysis and recommendations for legislative and police-based changes that are consistent with the human rights protections afforded Indigenous women and girls and with the calls for action by Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, various United Nations human rights bodies, and the families, communities, and nations of the Indigenous victims. All right, so... This was published in 2016. Oh, I can't get to the article. Well, that just stinks. At least I don't think I can. We're going to try again. Uh, No, that's in French. That's not going to help me. Oh, I have to buy it. Okay, well, no. I love you all, but not $45 worth for an article. See, my privilege is showing. But that has been a big problem. A friend of mine, Marianne, did a lot of research and did a lot of campaigning and protesting and work in trying to get this recognized in trying to get a, you know an investigation done okay so here is, is i'll explain this a bit more the murdered and missing indigenous women the mmiw i'm sure you've heard it human rights crisis disproportionately affects indigenous peoples in canada and the united states notably those in the First Nation, Métis, and Inuit, and Native American communities. A corresponding mass movement in the U.S. and Canada works to raise awareness of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Through organized marches, the building of databases, local communities, city councils, and tribal council meetings, and domestic violence trainings for police. Unfortunately, a lot of our police have racism issues with Indigenous people. And it goes back to the stereotyping that I was talking about earlier. Oh, you're native, you like to drink. You see a native person out and they're drunk. Oh, you're going to be rowdy. Better put you in cuffs and throw you in the back right away. You're taking taking you down to the drunk tank instead of talking to them. If it was me, oh, honey, come on. You need to pull yourself together and go home now. Come on. MMIW has been described as a Canadian national crisis and a Canadian genocide In response to repeated calls from Indigenous groups, activists, and non-governmental organizations, the Government of Canada, under Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, established a public health inquiry, the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, in September 2016. According to the inquiry's backgrounder between the years of 1980 and 2012, Indigenous women and girls represented 16% of all female homicides in Canada. Now think about that. 16% of all female homicides in Canada. That's in the entire country. 16%. Well, constituting only 4% of the female population in Canada. So if Indigenous women are only 4% of the female population in Canada... But they're represented as 16% of all female homicides in Canada? There's something wrong there. 
The inquiry was completed and presented to the public on June 3, 2019. A 2014 report by the RCMP, which is our Royal Canadian Mounted Police, they're not just for show, titled Missing and Murdered Aboriginal Women, a National Operational Overview, found that more than 1,000 Indigenous women were murdered over a span of 30 years. From 2001 to 2015, the homicide rate for Indigenous women in Canada was almost six times as high as the homicide rate for other women, representing 4.82 per 100,000 population versus 0.82 per 100,000 population. In Nunavut, Yukon, the Northwest, Ter- Northwest, Northwest, Territories, Northwest Territories, and in the provinces of Manitoba, Alberta, and Saskatchewan, this overrepresentation of Indigenous women among homicide victims was even higher. The Native Women's Association of Canada has documented 582 cases since the 1960s, with 39% after 2000. Although advocacy groups say that many more, many, many more women have been missing in Canada with the highest number of cases in British Columbia, notable cases have included 19 women killed in the Highway of Tears murders, and some of the 49 women from the Vancouver area murdered by serial killer Robert Picton. Now, Highway of Tears murders is a 725-kilometer or 450-mile corridor of Highway 16 between Prince George and Prince Rupert, British Columbia, which has been the location of many missing and murdered Indigenous women beginning in 1970. The phrase was coined during a vigil held in Terence, British Columbia in 1998, by Florence Nasal, who was thinking of the victims' families crying over their loved ones. There is a disproportionately high number of Indigenous women on the list of victims. Proposed explanations for the years-long endurance of crimes and the limited progress of identifying culprits include poverty, drug abuse, widespread domestic violence, disconnection with traditional culture and disruption of the family unit through the foster care system, and the Canadian Indian Residential School System. Mm -hmm. Poverty in particular leads to low rates of car ownership and mobility. Thus, hitchhiking is often the only way for many to travel vast distances to see family or go to work, school, or seek medical treatment. Another factor leading to abductions and murders is that the area is largely isolated and remote, soft soil in many areas, and carnivorous scavengers to carry away human remains. These factors precipitate violent attacks as perpetrators feel a sense of impunity, privacy, and the ability to easily carry out their crimes and hide evidence. So that's why it's called the Highway of Tears. Okay, and some of the 49 women from the Vancouver area murdered by serial killer Robert Picton. Yes, Canada does have serial killers. Convicted in 2007 of second-degree murder of six women, arrested in 2002, he was a subject of a lengthy investigation that yielded evidence of numerous other murders. In the U.S., Native American women are more than twice as likely to experience violence than any other demographic. One in three Indian women is insult- is sexually assaulted during her life. And here's a scary statistic for you. The six- and 67% of these assaults are perpetrated by other races. The Federal Violence Against Women's Act was reauthorized in 2013 for the first time, which for the first time gave tribes jurisdiction to investigate and persecute felony domestic violence offenses involving both Native American offenders as well as offenders from other races on reservations. In 2019, the House of Representatives, led by the Democratic Party, passed H.R. 1585, Violence Against Women, Reauthorization Act of 2019, by a vote of 263 to 158, 
which increases tribes' prosecution rights much further. The bill was not taken up by the Senate, which at the time had a Republican majority. Law enforcement, journalists, and activists in indigenous communities in both the U.S. and Canada have fought to bring awareness to the connection between sex trafficking, sexual harassment, sexual assault, and the women who go missing and are murdered. So the fact that I knew very little about all of this brings me a lot of shame. And I want to speak out about it, which is why I wanted to do this podcast and, and, and shed some light on what is going on in our country. Why I wanted to read that piece at the beginning about taking action, doing something about it, and not just sitting back and going, it doesn't affect me. I really don't. I can live my life and, and not be affected by it. Because that's wrong. That's so very wrong. Because it does affect me. Because it affects people I care about. It affects people that I love. It could have affected my own child. It's not something that should be swept under the, under the rug, which Canada is really, really, really good at. We're really good at that. There's a lot that goes on in this country that the rest of the world has no idea. We have our shames. We have our sins. We have our, our scars. And we have our big gaping wounds. And the treatment of our indigenous people is the hugest gaping wound that we have. And it needs to be fixed. Somebody needs to be held accountable. And things need to change. We say that we're so advanced and that, you know, we, we are such a good country. And that we take care of our people. And yet, we have these problems with our indigenous peoples. And they're being murdered and they're being abused. And I can sit in my house and I can have running water. Clean, clear, fresh running water. But if I drove down the road to Georgina Island... And I got on the boat and I went across to Georgina Island. I would not be able to drink the water there. Many of the places on Christian Island do not have water, do not have electricity. And this is okay? We can treat people like this? We can allow our First Nations people to live in conditions like this? And yet a cracked addict can get a check from the government. Clean needles. Someone to put the drugs in their arm. Place to live. Free meals. Shower, clothing, but we can't take care of our indigenous people, the ones that were here before we were, before we came along and we looked at that tiny little village and that indigenous man standing in front of the interloper that came along and said the tiny village, Kanata, means tiny village. And that white man said, oh, that must be the name of this land, Kanata. And Canada was born. We took the lands away from them. We took their children away from them. The women and the girls, we've taken their lives away from them. And by not investigating it, by covering it up, by ignoring it and not speaking out, we're taking their dignity away from them. And that is not good enough. So if you're one of my Canadian listeners, speak out. Do something. Hang an orange shirt outside from a tree. Take a pair of child's shoes Go put them on the steps of the federal buildings in your town, the municipal buildings in your town. Make them remember. Make them acknowledge those memories and acknowledge those atrocities. Because if it was happening to white people, it would be on every news station, every radio station, on every channel, on every TV, every facet of the government, every facet of the police and the law enforcement and the justice system would be seeing that somebody was held accountable, that there was fresh water for those white people, that there was justice for the death of those white people. 
it needs to be the same for our indigenous people. Okay, I'm getting angry now, and I know when I get angry, I'm going to get loud, and I can't get loud, so I think I'm going to leave that with you. Um, I do want to talk about one thing that is totally off topic, <laughs> so I'll give you a moment to kind of absorb what I've just dropped in your lap. We're going to switch gears into something a little different. Now, some of you listening, um, I may have already contacted because I made a list of all the authors that I knew that had books. And um, as you all know, I am the editor for the World of Myth magazine. I am a podcaster. Hello. And I am on a podcast network. So we are in a position now to offer ad space in the podcasts that we have on the network and to offer banner ad space on our magazine. And you've seen them before. You've seen my book, The Chosen, up there. You've seen Gabriella Balcom's book up there. You've seen Walter G. Esselman's book up there. And um, Melissa Ridley Elms, her book was up on the banner. You've seen my basket company. And I mean, there'll be a whole lot more in that rotation that you'll, be, you'll see. So we are offering um, audio plugs for $2.50 a month to be put into our podcast lineup. Now, that's not guaranteeing you're going to get into every single podcast, but you will be put into the podcast lineup, and we are offering uh, banner space, banner banner ad space at $5 a month. So um, if you want to do one audio plug for one month, it's $2.50. Now, you can either do the audio plug yourself, or you can have somebody do the audio plug for you, or you can ask us to find somebody to do the audio plug for you. I've been asked to do two audio plugs, so you're going to hear me, <laughs> probably in the middle of me. And yeah, so just get a hold of me um, either on Facebook or you can email me at stephaniebarty at theworldofmyth.com or you can email me at, let me see if I can remember all of them, secretaryjmdm. Uh-oh, I think there was more. At gmail.com. <laughs> Just get a hold of me on Facebook and I'll give you the email. And then I can give you all of the rundown and the breakdown. And uh, I'm telling you now, months are filling up already. So if you want a space, get a hold of me any way you can. And I will see what I can do for you. So, okay, I am going to wrap this up now. And I just realized I got pointed out to me that I am podcasting a day early. So. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I thought it was my actual podcast day. And I couldn't figure out why my Alexa had not told me yet, because I have it on my phone as well, why she had not told me yet to record Lupus Bits, as she says, because I didn't actually say it. I typed it in when I put the reminder in. If I said it, she would have, it would have been record Lupus Bits, but I only typed it in, so it's record Lupus Bits, because, you know, English language. Yeah, I actually thought it was my podcast day which I usually podcast on Tuesdays. And it's not. It's only Monday. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so you know where to find me. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Hunt me down. Do something that matters. Even if it's something little. Do something that matters. Be kind. I will talk to you all next week. Have a good night. And see ya. There'll be peace when you are done Lay your weary head to rest Don't you cry